Hi everyone, my name is Kishore Chandra and uh, we're here for our chit chat. Hi PB Chat, welcome, Haribol, Jaya will be joining us in just a moment. Welcome Geneva, Hari Hari. Okay, Jai Jagannath is here. Okay. Hey, Jai. How are you? How are you doing? Okay. Seems like it's been a while since we. Yeah, I um. It's been a I week, have... but it's, it's... it's like it's been longer. It feels that way. It does feel longer. I I um I had to pause on Monday. I I was just getting really like tired. <laughs> And I had a lot going on in my life, um, both like personally and like, you know, just feeling kind of exhausted. And I think, you know, I kind of want to talk about this a little bit because something that I've come to the conclusion to, it's just like, I don't know, I feel like, I, I feel like there's a lot of things I want to talk about today. But it's like, for example, for example, like in, hi Kavi, in, in ISKCON and in like devotee circles, something that's spoken about a lot is like devotee care and how we're caring for ourselves and how we're caring for each other, how we're inspiring ourselves and how we're inspiring each other. Because something that I realized like getting closer and closer to Monday is like, you know, this is no joke, you know, like trying to have a devotional life is no joke. Like it's really, really intense actually, you know, like it's, it's hard. I was talking with um, uh, a, a person in my life and we were just saying like, God, it's like, okay, we're trying to like figure out what our what we're doing with our life. Then we're trying to figure out like money and finances and all of this stuff. Then there's like health and just like maintaining this body in and of itself is just like such a chore, you know, maintaining the house and maintaining all the things that need to go on here, maintaining your relationships with other people and like, you know, like this. Um, if you have a like, you know, if you have a personal relationship with someone or like a partnership with someone, like maintaining that is like a full time job. It's like all these full time jobs that we have. And then on top of just those like material things that we're doing, it's like, and I'm trying to be a good devotee and I'm trying to chant all my rounds and I'm trying to have good sadhana and like read and hear every day and like have inspiring sangha. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's a lot. So I kind of want to hear um, from you about that because I got to like a little bit of a breaking point where I was just like so much and then I kind of like I kind of went into an extreme I'm just being very honest here where I was just like I need to watch I'm gonna be very honest with you all I need to watch RuPaul's Drag Race in bed all day like that, <laughs> that's what I did and I was just like catatonic just like completely gone just like okay and then I got myself back up after a day or two. Um, <laughs> or three or four. Or three. Who's counting? I lost count. Let's just say I watched the whole season. Oops. <laughs> Carl Pott writes in the, well, he says this in many places, but in Shastra is also indicating this, that human life is a life of heavy responsibility. And my personal experience with responsibility is that it can be empowering and it can also be demoralizing. Mm. You know, on the one hand, when you have like too much free time in your hand, and because you don't have sufficient amount of responsibility, then you go down. And that, we've seen that. We know that very well. Uh, Idle mind is a devil's workshop and the devil be at play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
on the other hand, when you have just like a lot of responsibility, and I, it, the feeling of overwhelming responsibility, I think, is comes from not handling responsibility skillfully. Mm. And it's not like we've been. It's not like we've done uh, taken tutorials or have exactly like responsible people in our lives to show us how to like skillfully handle responsibilities especially when they're increasing in number mm. so the other experience that i have with a lot of responsibilities that it's it can be demoralizing mm. and i think that happens again when when it's not handled with skill and so the result of that is also the same as not having sufficient amount of responsibility mm. so um yeah it's it's a double-edged sword and mm. um, human life yeah human life provides that t tension mm. and the, like in the lower species of life there's many verses like this i'm thinking of in the Bhagavad. but in the animal species they they don't their senses and minds are not so developed as mm. in the human species mm. like for example uh we we hear like this the ego can see very far distances certain creatures mm. have increased hearing abilities but in the human species all the senses are like kind of very active mm. this is one of the reasons why the human life is considered you know like the special one mm. and and the minds are, of the human species also very developed as we we see so the result the reason for that is because it gives opportunity for transcendence mm. That the opportunity for transcendence is available only in the human species, at least according to Vedanta. So here's this great facility for transcending nature, which is the per ultimate purpose of human existence. But we, you know, Kali Yuga, we know that we didn't get trained up in this sort of understanding, and so it's like being given a car at a young age and you don't know how to drive it, mm. and so you just kind of jack it up and so we have a regular experience of the downside of mm. having human life and human responsibility not knowing how to handle that mm. it's rather rather unfortunate and then and then we we hang on to like even after recognizing this issue we hang on to our security blankets i've really been thinking about this a lot because in the context of the hero's journey so with the different men sanghas, uh, I try to, uh, we're going through this hero's journey template, the monomyth, which is, I still think that's an amazing template of thinking about your own personal transformation. Um, it's an amazing template. Anyway, when you get called to adventure, basically the call is a, what comes with the call is uh, the implication of the call is a sacrifice mm. of the security and of the self that you have known hitherto. Mm. And, and for this reason, it's what takes, it's what makes a call to adventure easy to refuse initially. Mm. Like in the movie, The Matrix, you know, Neo gets literally called from Morpheus and Y'all know this scene in the beginning where Morpheus like, is trying to help him navigate his office space because the agents are coming for him. Yeah. And so Morpheus finally leads him into the one room. He has to, like, climb the scaffold in order to escape. Mm -hmm. So that's literally his call to adventure. But 
you know, <laughs> he was <laughs> he was scared. I mean, of course, in the movie, it's like obvious because it's like a scaffold in a very high, high, high skyscraper building. <laughs> so it was like if you, you know, one misstep and you're falling down a really long way to your death. And so um, he refused to call to adventure initially. Mm. But although our calls to adventure, which pertain more to our inner world, may not be so dramatic, it feels that way internally. Mm-hmm. Because there, there's some sacrifice that is there that's required. The, the implication of the cause is a great sacrifice, mm. basically, of the security and the self you've known hitherto. So, um, my experience is that when the response, not yeah, when the responsibilities are increasing, it's kind of like a call to adventure in a mm. sense, and that is asking us to like step up mm-hmm. and take charge of your destiny mm-hmm. but instead mm-hmm. of doing that we just grab one to our security blankets whatever mm-hmm. it may be you know and mm-hmm. this particular example you gave was rupaul but we all have our we all have our security blankets that we got <laughs> one to you know the thing that makes us feel feel okay uh. um even though we're neglecting something extremely important yeah it's really interesting. Something just came up for me when you were speaking in regards to security blankets, because as we all know, um, you know, a new president-elect was kind of um, projected, or projected or whatever. Yeah, and everyone is celebrating. It seems well, not everyone. Some some <laughs> people. The majority. The majority seems to be celebrating. And it's really interesting. I've always been really afraid. Not, I don't know if afraid is the right word. Fearful of like um, overt nationalism and uh, like patriotism has always been very strange to me. Like from a, on a personal level, because it was kind of ingrained in me. I grew up in a religion where like we wouldn't stand up for the Pledge of Allegiance in the United States. I remember like as a kid, I had to like always when I had a new teacher, I had to give them a note from my parents explaining why I wasn't standing up for the United States (laughs) Pledge of Allegiance. And it was so embarrassing. Can you imagine that as a child? Like everyone in the classroom. It's such trauma. Like everyone's standing up there, I pledge allegiance to the flag. And I'm just sitting there like. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so I have like an ingrained bias of like, you know, weird nationalism and that kind of stuff. But I also find it very strange, like when we, and I find this in myself as well, and I'm sure we all do, when I put the, what's the word I'm looking for? When I like project my myself into an ideology and therefore have like extreme hope when that ideology like goes my way or have extreme depression or dejection when that ideology doesn't go my way, you know? Because I guess like a way to put it is like, what would have happened if Trump would have won? You know, like what would have happened, you know? And it's we know like, what would have been happened. The cities would have been lit. I know. And not but, the positive lit. <laughs> I know, but I'm talking about on like a, on a personal level because yeah. it's like seeing that rejoicement and whatever, of course it's super exciting, you know? It's very nice to see people in the streets, with the American flags and just like, woo, America, like, yes. And then everyone all over the world was like, yes, it's great. But I feel like that, I feel like that's like a very big, like macro example, but I feel like we do that in our life on an everyday basis as well with things that we project outside of ourselves. I got my paycheck. 
Yes, you know, like yeah. I feel good now. It's the and weekend. Yes. Woo! It's Friday. I'm going out with my friends. We're gonna kiki and party. Woo! Yeah, you know whatever. But it's like all those things externally, whether it be like a weekend, or whether it be like me getting a bonus, or whether it be like my candidate winning, or whether it be, it be my my drag queen winning on RuPaul's Drag Race. You know, like whatever. And it's like I feel then like this um you know, this emotion through that, that's just like, <gasps> yeah. But it's like, at the end of the day, my problems are still there. You know, like mm -hmm. my discipline is still there. My lack of discipline is still there. I remember I sent you this meme, Jaya. I can't remember. Do you know which one I'm talking about? The one that was like, I don't, uh, I, w I kind of want to find it, but if I pause it, then I have to pause it. But it was something along the lines of like, you know, all the candidates and all the things and all the movements could be happening outside of you. But at the end of the day, it was kind of a savage meme. It was like, at the end of the day, if you're lazy, nothing's going to change. Right, right, and, I, right, right. and I was just like, I laughed so much when I saw that because I was just like, yeah, you know, like if I am internally just like, yeah, basically what, what I'm hearing from you, sorry, I cut, I cut you. Yeah, yeah, no worries. My bad. Basically what I'm hearing from you and you're using this example, <laughs> Is that I'm, I saw Sheev's comment was mad funny, right? <laughs> Are you looking at Sheev's yeah, comment? Yeah, I'm looking at Sheev's comment. <laughs> if someone has the national flag up in the house and it's not the Olympics, you know they're a what, what I'm hearing from you is that people, the in the example that you gave, oh, my candidate won, now I'm happy. Yeah. So that becomes a security blanket. Yeah. Because it's not that you're, like, the, there's no actual impact on your personal life yeah you know like frankly speaking i often wonder about this when it comes to like like people four years you know excuse my sanskrit here but four years bitching and bitching and bitching about trump and i really want to know how did his candidacy practically impact your life mm. like on a day-to-day -day level or a month-to-month -month level mm. or even throughout the whole year mm. and maybe for a lot of people it's like well it's not and it didn't really impact my life, but it impacted the lives of so many others. Mm. Well, in what way did it impact the lives of others? Mm. And in what way was the, the, the struggles in our life due to him? And, and in what other ways are the struggles in our life due to them? Mm. Like their own not taking responsibility. And this is, you know, George Orwell's 1984. I brought this up some time ago, but there was a character of, Emmanuel Goldstein. So Emmanuel Goldstein was a character like no one knew if he actually existed or not. But he was a guy that everyone had to hurl hatred at mm. for two minutes. And, you, you know, there was a two minutes of hate that happened every day. And then it was like hate week. And basically you just screamed at a figure mm. that you were told was Emmanuel Goldstein. But no one actually knew if he existed or not. And when reading the book, you get a sense that, okay, Emmanuel Goldstein might be just like a government distraction mm. because these governments are like oppressing the people and mm. they need someone to direct all that animosity at. So they just direct it at Emmanuel Goldstein. So you get a sense when reading the book that it could be the government, but maybe he does actually exist and mm. he's an enemy of the, like, it's not super clear, but what is clear from the book is that all their all the negativity that they're feeling inside mm. has an easy outlet. Mm. That's the Emmanuel Goldstein. So I kind of thought about that metaphysically. Like, what are the Emmanuel Goldsteins in my life? Because when you have to blame anything in the external environment, 
for the lack of happiness in your life, for the lack of um, order in your life, because your life is in a chaotic condition, you basically are surrendering power, mm. or a word that I really like a lot, surrendering sovereignty to these outside forces, instead of just like taking ownership and seeing how it is that you can make yourself happy, bring order to your life, get mm. it out of a chaotic condition. But instead of doing that, we look for the easy blame target. Mm. We look for our Emmanuel Goldsteins. And then they become our security blankets. Mm. So I do feel that too when it like, okay, woo, woo, woo for two, three days because this new candidate won. What happens if they reverse the decision for whatever reasons? Because, you know, at this point in 2020, every month is a new locked event. So who knows what will be the new event to be unlocked. Mm. First, we started off with the Australian fires, and then Kobe Bryant died, and then coronavirus <laughs> hits, and then Black Lives. It was like literally every month a new event was unlocked. So who knows what's coming for the last two months of this. Is it two months? We're in November, so one month left. Yeah. So who knows what's coming up, but what happens if the thing is reversed? Hmm. And then you're like, now my life is terrible because of that. No, before, before um, this changeover happened, your life was so jacked up. Like Kavi last, said, I remember. Kavi says the murder hornets. Don't forget those. Oh, oh, they were murder hornets? You, you didn't hear about the murder hornets? Oh my God, well, I didn't hear about the murder hornets. They, oh okay, my God. wait, sorry, pause. I saw. I saved a meme on my Instagram. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm Monday. That's one of my guilty pleasures now, saving memes. I saved a meme of the murder hornet, like some funny meme. But I didn't get the context. They were murder hornets. They were actual murder hornets that like came from somewhere. Who knows? And it was so funny because it was such a giant thing in the news. It was like, stay in your houses. The murder hornets are going to kill you. Like, they've come out of nowhere, and people were supposedly dying from the murder hornets. <laughs> and they reported on it maybe, like, what? I don't know, a week or two weeks? And then out of, and then it just disappeared. The murder hornets just left. Okay. So, yeah, every month, a new unlocked event. And in this way, one is just bullied by the vicissitudes mm. of the changing situations in the dualistic world mm. and not taking responsibility. Using that as a security blanket, as we're saying. Mm to not address the elephant in the room, which basically is you didn't take responsibility for your life. And now you have to suffer the consequences of not doing so. I'm just reading about the murder hornets. Sorry, I got distracted. Okay, um, yes. And I think uh, my, my mind right now is very much in the first chapter of the Bhagavad Gita because I started a Bhagavad Gita. Um, True group that i'm facilitating and it's really nice wow, to be able to subtle plug okay <laughs> well this is our platform now so we can plug whatever we want okay you can plug your thing i can plug my thing we can plug whatever we want okay but anyway i was really interested in going through like the the archetypes of the three characters in bhagavad gita uh in in the first chapter of the bhagavad gita so you have the right. the blind king who's like usurping the kingdom you have this, the son of that blind king who's kind of like starting this war, Duryodhan. And then you have Arjuna. And it's really interesting because even though Arjuna's on the side of Dharma, he kind of like, you know, haughtily tells Krishna, like, take me to the middle of the battle and let me see these evil people who I'm going to fight against and like mm -hmm. this. 
And I think that that's such a good example because sometimes in our life, like we, those security blankets make us, like convince us into thinking that we're at a certain position, but we're actually not. You know, it's like those security blankets make me think like I can deal with all of this stuff going on in my life, all these responsibilities. Just keep on piling the responsibilities on because I have my security blanket, whether it's my binge watching Netflix or my candidate winning or like whatever. We have so many security blankets. So I feel like Arjuna was like his, you know, false ego, basically his pride of just like thinking he was on this great side take me to the middle of the battlefield and let me see these evil, you know, people that I'm fighting. And then once he was actually confronted with the reality of what was happening and like the visual reality of what was going on, he was fighting his cousins and his grandfather and his military teacher and all these people in his family. And he saw them, he had like a nervous breakdown. And then on top of that nervous breakdown, I thought it was so interesting that then Arjuna tries to like kind of fight Krishna on it a little bit. He's just like, no, I'm not going to fight. And these are the reasons why. And it's going to be like this. And the family's going to degrade. And we're going to, you know, incur sinful reaction. And we have to be compassionate and all of this stuff. And it's just so interesting how, like, sometimes those platitudes that we create in life to justify our own kind of misgivings or our own inability to act in a certain situation in the way that we're supposed to act in, you know, even though we might know what the actual right thing to do is, we create excuses. And, you know, Krishna, of course, that's how the Bhagavad Gita starts. And Krishna's like, okay, let's get to work. Like, this is not, this is not, the, this is not. And I thought it was so interesting because many people, I, and I, I, I was teaching this Bhagavad Gita to like a lot of people who had never read Bhagavad Gita, or I had a lot of students who like have read it before and they were really confused. And they were like, yeah, I'm really confused as to like why Krishna is like making Arjuna fight. Like, shouldn't these arguments that Arjuna is making like sounds great, you know, like right, nonviolence right, right. non non and compassion towards others and like this and like this. And right. I was like, yes, I know, but this is not the actual issue, right? The actual issue is Arjuna's attachment. We're going to get to it in chapter two. Don't worry. But I guess right. the example I'm going to end here. I guess the example that I'm making is that like we are that Arjuna in so many moments in our life yes, at the beginning absolutely. of at the beginning of the first chapter of Gita where we're just like making excuses we're launching ourselves into situations based off of like a uninformed or ignorant place because Arjuna was also suffering from ignorance right and we like think that we can do all these things but it's like we actually can't and then when we're faced with a thing we have the nervous breakdown and then we look for the security blanket of like you know, oh, well, this reason, this is the excuse and this is, and that's the blame and this, whatever. And we really do need that, you know, we need Krishna. We need Krishna in our life, <laughs> but we need that person, whether it's directly Krishna, whether it's guru, whether it's sangha, whether it's a friend to be like, you know, we've talked about this a lot, holding us accountable to being like, bro, that's, all of this is nonsense. All of these excuses, all of your security blankets, it's all nonsense. And actually like, this is it, you know? Yeah, we need to be exposed, um, essentially. And there's nothing like the truth to expose us to the reality of what we are, what we need to be becoming, or what we're neglecting to do. So, yeah, that's why the, I, I like this language a lot, this call to adventure thing. It's, it's, a, it's confronting, as it is also promising. Because a call to adventure, is a, it's the potential of manifesting uh, your, the, the, your, your great power, your great glory, or winning some great triumph. Mm. 
mm. you know so there's the there's the encouragement of of the call to adventure mm. on the one side but then there's the implication of it also where mm. you're being exposed for where your starting point your starting point is the ordinary world is not good it's, i mean this is especially true when you're talking about the cause of adventure from like in terms of an inner life transformation sort of thing then you're, you're not where you need to be inside so on the, on the one hand the call it represents this opportunity for glory mm. on the other hand the implication is you got to really stop with the excuses and so on I guess for this reason, to be honest with you, I, I don't know, like, just going back to the My Candidate One thing this week, mm. I'm just, I'm like so peeved, to be honest <laughs> with you. But I've been, I've been a good boy because it's Kartik. I'm not making pettiness on, like, on Facebook like I normally do. But I had a really good one, too, but I, I really held it in and was not petty about it. But, um... I'm like, what is it to be excited about? Mm. Okay, so you're kind of wrong, but uh, like a lot of us, and I'm, I'm calling myself out too when I say this, a lot of us are still going to be doing the same dumb shit for the rest of the year, not correcting ourselves, not making any headway in inner progress, like a lot of the people. Okay, so a lot of us here on Chit Chat or whatever, we have a little bit of sadhana, we have mm. a little bit of awareness, but we're trying to improve our lives. Mm. our inner world to some degree or to a large degree but a lot of the people at these parties they not like that the same bad habits that they that they had when trump was around gonna be the same bad habits they have when this new candidate is in there and like what is it to be excited about you're still going to be the miserable person that you are now mm. unless you are actually inspired to take responsibility for your life and improve it mm. and that has nothing to do with any candidate and to be frank i want to go as far as to say it really has nothing to do with what happens to you also because mm. i like i have friends who have been for example molested and raped that's just to give a very heavy example i have friends who have been molested and raped and they're flourishing you know they they didn't allow that they did what they had to do to get through trauma but they didn't allow that trauma to be excused for not flourishing in the right now. Mm. Maybe the traumatic experience created challenges for them that others, uh, challenges that we didn't have to face necessarily mm. and coming to a position where they can flourish. But if they're not flourishing, it was, it's still their fault. Mm. Their being molested or raped is not their fault. So mm. I'm clearly saying that. So don't misquote me here. <laughs> but if you're not flourishing, that's on you. And again, this is not to like, this is not victim blaming. All these sort of terms come up. I'm not victim blaming. Like, I, that's just a particular type of challenge that individual yeah. had to overcome. And I have friends who have shared with me that I wouldn't, hadn't even known that they had gone through such a hardship mm. because they just took control of their life. And yeah. they work through the trauma to control. And then, of course, we have the other example where someone says, well, this happened to me, therefore, woe is me. Yeah. Now, I'm giving a heavy example like rape and all that. That's heavy. I get it theoretically. Um, it's an extremely heavy thing. But still, at the end of the day, 
your not flourishing now is not due to that particular event. Yeah. I've heard this thing that's usually said around, around molestation and around rape and these kinds of things, that you, you aren't responsible for what happened to you, but you are responsible for your own healing. Right. And that's something that I hear a lot. And I feel like it's very applicable to anything. It's like, you're not responsible to what happened to you, but you are responsible for like what you're going to do about it. You know, right. like, what are you going to do with it? How am I going to progress? How am I going to keep going forward? Because right. it's really sad. Yes. Yes. PB chat. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. That's very, yes. That's a good one. I've heard that too. That pain is kind of like the, what's the word I'm looking for? like the not prerequisite that's not the right word pain is like a given you know like pain is a given of this material world i know there's going to be right. pain like i know that that's here but suffering really comes from like my uh from me and how i'm processing that pain how i'm you know i how i'm like construing that pain inside of my body and my mind because something that's really interesting about the candidate thing i wanted to say this when you were speaking is that I feel like what a lot of what our chit chat always comes to, it always comes down to like one of these points. Like, I feel like we could all boil it out down to like five or six points. But yeah. one of the points that we always come to is like, well, what program are you on? You know, like really, like, are you on the material enjoyment program or are you on the, you know, spiritual path program? And how much, and, and it's not like one or the other. I feel like it's more of like a percentage, you know, it's like, okay, like how much percentage am I in this way? And how much, because really, I mean, okay, this might sound harsh, but I'm gonna say it. I feel like when it comes to like, when we externalize our enjoyments, right? So like, whether it's the candidate, whether it's RuPaul's Drag Race, whether, right, it's, the, right. whether it's the food or like whatever, really like what it, com what it boils down to is like, how much is this external thing going to benefit me directly? You know, right. like how much is this external thing, whether it be the candidate or the, I mean, like with politics, it's kind of like a no brainer because that's what the entire political platform is based upon. Like, we're going to help you. We're going right. to help you, you know, have more and enjoy more and help things be more fair, you know, and all of this stuff. So it's a very, very kind of like primal Politics is really primal, actually. It's a very primal thing. It's like, I want things, I want security, I want food and water and money and the ability to enjoy. And now there's this supposed person in power who is going to, like, help me get those things, you know? But it's like, okay, that's fine and dandy if you're on the material program. It's like, okay, I'm on the material program and I want to enjoy it. And this candidate is telling me that I can have fairness and justice and tax breaks and housing and all of this stuff. And all of that stuff is going to help me like, you know, we like to dress it up with pretty language. All that stuff is going to help me have affordable housing and like, right, you know, right, right, right. And like, you know uh, access and like all this. No, it's your ability to, to enjoy this material world. Like that's what it comes down to, to like put yummy food in your mouth and like sustain yourself and have a family and like whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that like, we shouldn't do those things. What I'm saying is that like on the spiritual program, you've mentioned this various times. In, in Chaitanya Charitamrita, there's so many like subjugation of the Muslims on India and there's so many killings and wars and this and going on. And you don't really hear of that being so much of an obstacle for these no. saints, you know, you don't really hear them like going into like, let's change the system and let's do this and let's do that. It's like, 
No, their Hari Bhajan was the most important thing, and they didn't really let it get in the way. Wait, I need to see what Madhavapuri said. I've decided, <laughs> I've decided I need a 12-step program. <laughs> I'm, like oh, holding, I'm like holding it in my lap while you're speaking. Oh, my God. Yes, Madhavapuri, the addiction needs to end. I feel like that would be a really good spin-off of Chit Chat. 12-step <laughs> That could be our that could be our next Friday chit chat group after we finish Azimuth. Oh my god! Twelve step program for the material world. Ah, uh, Krishna. So anyway, I forgot what I was saying. Um, I lost my train of thought. But yeah, basically that. Yeah. Another point we we come always come into uh, just because of the example that you gave about people saying affordable housing this that and the other material programs. Um, I often oh, sorry. Okay. I just wanted to end it by saying that the material circum. I remember what I was saying. The material circumstances they are going to constantly be changing. And how can my spiritual life stay like? steadfast and resolute i mean that's the purpose of our spiritual life like that's what yeah. we're learning that's what we're learning in bhagavad-gita that's what we're learning in srimad bhagavatam like how do i stay steady in my bhajan to krishna as the vicissitudes of this material world play out however they're going to play yeah. out you know not my spiritual life is dependent on the material things because right. if that's how i'm if that's how i'm approaching my spiritual life like it's going to be real not pretty. It's not going to Yeah. Be well, just to need to emphasize, okay, when we say spiritual life, you know, the need to address your inner world, mm. you know, even for people who may not consider themselves necessarily spiritual or into yoga or something, but the need to address the inner world. Yeah. I'm thinking about one thing that I've heard as a talking point in, I guess, the political sphere is that people need more money because when people are poor, then they commit crime. And so because of the poverty, there's so much crime. And I'm like, um, are you sure it's just poverty? Because as far as I understand, a lot of these big bankers and so on, they're doing hella crime. And they got plenty. They got more than enough to sustain themselves and whole countries. And they're doing a lot of crime, too. Like, <laughs> a lot. And the only reason we don't hear more about it is because they own a lot of people who could speak up about it. In the, in the mainstream sources and so on. So I always found it like interesting, like poverty is really the cause of crime. I'm like, there are a lot of poor people in India and I'm thinking like sadhus now, they don't commit crime. Like poverty is not a cause of crime. Now I get the idea that when humans become desperate, you know, a desperate humanity can do some crazy things. But crime, crime as a result of poverty, I'm like, no. There's something in the inner world that leads to these sorts of things happening. And then the conditions just kind of shine light on the situation of the inner worlds of those individuals. Mm, mm. And so the same greed or lust that exists and the billionaire who's doing all sorts of crime to, even though he has plenty, exists in the impoverishment also. Yes. And there's something that needs to be addressed therein. But we have a culture that keeps us preoccupied with the, and I, I use this language a lot now, it's Book of Dharma language. Well, I think it's language that comes up in a lot of places. The, the horizontal dimension versus the vertical dimension, you know, of life. So the horizontal being what happens to you and the vertical being what happens within you. 
Mm. And so we don't have a culture that emphasizes the need to go within and move up on a vertical dimension towards the more idealistic you mm. that exists at that high point on the vertical mm. dimension. The, the secular world especially keeps us occupied with the realm of what happens to us, which is completely beyond our control. So when you are preoccupied with what is beyond your control, you neglect the inner instrument, the inner world, and you neglect to move up in the inner world. Mm. And that way you go down because that's, everything moves towards the lowest point mm. when you're not moving in the positive direction. And mm. this way, it just becomes like annoying to hear. I mean, I get it. I'm human. We're human. So I get that. It's just, it becomes annoying when everyone's like, yay we're gonna it's gonna be like a better future now i'm like honey we've gone through about four or five presidents and ain't shit changed <laughs> in fact things have been going downhill very consistently like what makes you think this is gonna change make any difference and as far as your personal life is concerned like that's yeah. on you that's literally on you Sid is saying this very nice thing about what Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur said to show Prabhupada at their first meeting. Because Prabhupada was very much into the Gandhian movement and very much yeah. about like India liberation. Right. Um, so he said Prabhupada challenged that Krishna consciousness wasn't useful as long as India was under British rule. Right. And so Bhaktisiddhanta Bhakti said that spiritual life and Krishna consciousness was so important that it transcended all material considerations. And I remember him saying actually that it was so important that it should be taken on first before trying to, you know, liberate, that it had the power to liberate India. Yeah, I, you know, if I wanted to translate that to like, if I was speaking to a secular audience, mm. I would translate the same thing, but just translating it, say something to, something to the fact that, you know what, I'm a quarter Lewis Mon quote. I don't know. I don't even know who he is, but I know this is his quote because I use it on my Instagram. What happens to a man is less significant than what happens within him. Mm -hmm. That sums mm -hmm. it up. That's what I want to say. What happens to a man or woman is less significant than what happens within him. Yes. And that's the part that I guess any spirituality tries to point us to what's going on inside and right now it ain't pretty now what if what if you die tomorrow like consider what your insides are now <laughs> your insides <laughs> not your guts but like your inner world consider what it is now you die tomorrow like you, today you went to a a, a block party celebrating the new president-elect yeah i'm happy everything's great even though you haven't done shit to address your inner world and then you die tomorrow mm. Or you get you get a uh, uh, you go to the doctor and they say you have you know two weeks to live. Now, now what, you know, how will you respond to that? Mm. Like really, like honestly, think about that. You having the black party, everything's gonna be great. The world, in the world's changing for the better. Love wins. Blah blah. blah whatever. <laughs> All these like BS slogans, and then you get the call that you're gonna die tomorrow because that that death thing is always hanging over our head it's always hanging there so suppose you get the thing you're going to die tomorrow now look think about the state of your inner world right now 
and you're face to face with death. Let's say two weeks. You got two weeks to live. You got one month to live. Whatever it is. And think about the state of your inner world. Would all the president elect and all? Would any of that even matter? Hmm. Like at the end of the day, would any of that actually matter? And I don't want to hear that nonsense. Like I'm sorry, this isn't nonsense, generally speaking. But this is what is often spewed. Well, it's not. It's not about me. It's about compassion for the other. Honey, I know you're not thinking about the other most of the time. If you get that thing, that call that says you're gonna die in two weeks, I don't think you're gonna be thinking about the other too much,、mm. and they certainly ain't gonna be thinking about you. <laughs> so let's let's keep it real. Like what, what? I don't know how else to say this, but how would you process that? Like you've neglected yourself for that long, and now you're about to die.、Mm. I like what she was saying. The fitness philosopher saying at some point the travesty of neglect and misidentification internally will manifest outwardly. Yeah, so poetically put, much better than how I was putting it. Something that I've been thinking about recently is like how we like hope versus skill, and like how hope is obviously a good thing because if we were hopeless, you know, it's. Jadedness and indifference and lack of connection and you know just like no joy, right? But I think that the issue becomes when I place my hope in material things and in other people, in relationships and like whatever it is, and I'm not placing my hope on something、um, eternal, on something transcendental, on something spiritual. Then that hope essentially is really, really like folly. Because in this example that you're giving. I have hope that the new president-elect is going to bring, you know, peace and love and all of this stuff and whatever. Okay, I feel hopeful. My heart feels hopeful. That's great. I feel full of hope. Amazing. But then I get the call from the doctor that I'm going to die tomorrow, and I haven't worked skillfully in my life to address my inner demons, my inner things, to address literally anything inside of me. I have no tools. <laughs> I have no tools in my tool belt to deal with that because I've externalized that duty by having hope. On the president-elect, or hope、mm. on the relationship, or hope on the person, and therefore I'm going to die miserable and sad and scared because I don't have any tools in my tool belt, you know. So I always feel like that that hope and the skill needs to like be really kind of like on par with each other, and the hope needs to be like in something that's not like you know some person who could like do a switcheroo all of a sudden.、Right. It's like we've seen that happen all the times. I'm the president, and I'm gonna like deliver this country out of its economic whatever. Oops, oops! <laughs> I, I stole、up. like the last one. I stole like the last one. Right. Oops!、There. I stole from everyone. <laughs> Hope and skill should be congruent. You know, I'm reminded of a Bhagavad verse where it says,、um, "People who don't know their self-interest, not tevi do swatikatayam vishnu." Then this word is true. Dar ashaya. They have bad hopes. Mm. Or they have false hopes, and then the the language after that durashaye by here artamanina, and by here artamanina means they, and the way, this is how Prabhupada translates it, they take too seriously external things.、Mm. By here arta, so by here means outside, and arta means value. Manina, manina means to like, you know, deliberate on it. All their deliberation is on external values.、Mm. And then they're left bankrupt at the time of death,、mm. you know. And spiritual life is about not ending up bankrupt. Forget the time of death. 
bankrupt at the time of the death of the world that you're accustomed to because mm. that is upon us have no like make no mistake about it the world that a lot of us have become accustomed to it looks like it's changing dramatically mm. and we're going through a big transition and if you transition is one of those things that it's easy to be, it's easy to look real messy <laughs> like i know from a personal experience <laughs> Transition usually looks pretty messy. It's not cute. And um, if the world situation is going through a big transition, as it appears to be going through, what are the, the extent of currency we have inside is going to show, inner currency, so to speak. And I'm afraid. I'm afraid for myself, even though I'm talking like this and I'm thinking about these things all the time and I'm working on it. I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough currency to deal with the extent of some of the tra transitions that might take place or that look like they're going to take place. Mm. And so, yeah, I guess it, this message never really gets old, you know. Don't end up eternally... I like this. Don't end up internally bankrupt at the time of death. Mm. And that means death of your physical body or it means death of the world that you have become accustomed to, mm. the world that you found your security. It's going to die. It's going to end. Don't end up internally bankrupt at the time of death. Mm. Mm. And mm. with that, yeah, with that, we want to yeah, bring it back to the same point. You know, get your shit together. Otherwise, honey, it's not going to be cute. <laughs> it's not going to be cute. And I, we're not going to be, and, and this is another thing about it, which is very interesting um, to me. This has always been an interesting point to me. We can't help each other. When, when another person is internally mm -hmm. bankrupt, there's nothing you can really do, externally speaking, to help them. Like zero. And Prabhupada gives this example that I personally really like. He's like, it's like being in the ocean together. Mm. And, we're, and we're drowning. We may want to help each other, but we can't. Like, we literally can't. I'm in the ocean. You're in the ocean. And like, hey, I'll, I'll help you, honey. you in the ocean, too. Like, it is, <laughs> there's nothing you can do. And like, I get the idea of we try to empathize with people and show mm. compassion and help. But at the end of the day, the best you can do, like even when you empathize, empathy is just looking at a person's situation, mm. taking something out of your psyche that resembles that situation to you, imposing that situation that you experience onto that person, and then getting the feelings for them. But it's not really understanding their experience because that's not possible. Mm. They're, they're a different subject than you, so you can't really understand their experience. Which means at the end of the day, they kind of suffer alone. Even though they may have a shoulder to cry on with, in, in the form of our friendship. And we do the best we can to uplift. But at the end of the day, they're, it's like their own experience. And they have, it's something they have to overcome on their own. Yeah. And so, yeah, we can only help to that inner part to whatever degree we're empowered to do so. Hmm. But getting that inner currency, as I'm using this language now, that's on us. You got to work hard for that currency. Yeah. Otherwise, ain't going to be cute. All right, we got a few comments here, and we can close out. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for helping me with my Dharmic credit score. <laughs> and then Melissa is saying, perhaps your spiritual example can help 
the other person, seeing how you handle your life or face your death with grace may inspire. Definitely. 100%. Absolutely. I think, I think there's a difference. Maybe this will be a nice... <laughs> Sorry. What? Yoga, yoga like mine was like, it's not cute right now. <laughs> it's full of, it's full it's of hate, violence. hate and violence. Right. Well, to, to, to Melissa's point, I think it's interesting because it's like taking inspiration from someone who I see as like, um, you know, uh, we were speaking about this in the men's sangha about guru, you know, about, oh yeah, I remember the image that like the guru is like throwing down the, the, the what's it called, the rope down the well to the disciple, right? right. But then the disciple is like, um, wait, how does it go, Jaya? Like, can you, can you help me grab it? Right. Yeah. And so basically, like, we have to actually grab the rope and we have to climb up, you know? And that's kind of like the work that we have to do. It's not like, oh, now help me, like, get my hands and help me grab the rope. And I think, like, what, what to go back to the original point that we were making about, like, externalizing on our hopes on others and projecting our, you know, our security blankets and thinking that everything is just going to magically like go well in our life now that our candidate has won or our, you know, whatever, or our relationship, whatever it is. Right. And I think that that's such a problem because it's like, there's a difference between taking inspiration from someone and feeling like, yes, this is inspiring my life. But then on a personal level, I still have to grab the rope and I still have to climb right, up right, the right, well. Right, like right, I right. still have to do the work. I think what's happening with politics is that it's really like, what's that word I'm looking for? It's really, really like just overly like fanaticized, for lack of a better word, to the point where it's like, no, this is actually going to fix all my problems, you know? Right. Like this is actually going to like make everything better and lead my life into a better place and whatever. And, this. and I feel like that's where it becomes very dangerous, you know, where it's like, no, this thing actually is going to fix my problems. This person, this relationship, this object, like it is actually going to fix. And this is yes. the issue. Yes. We can title this one. Don't end up internally bankrupt. Yes. How did I say it? I forgot now. Don't end up internally bankrupt at the time of death. death. Is that what you said? I, I think so. I feel like there was something missing there. But anyway. <laughs> and and get your chit together. Yeah, that's a that's a classic. That's one. a classic. But then what goes on the back of the shirt? You said get your chit together or something, something, something. I can't remember. I don't remember. But it was good. Anyway. Anyway. Um, yeah, PB Chat is saying, I've never seen people so obsessed with elections. It's weird. I know. It's, I, it is weird. I, you know, I, some friends also talking to me about this mentioned that for them, it's not about election. It's good versus evil. That's like, I think that's how a lot of people actually view this thing. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's not just an election right now. This is, this is good versus evil. And people have different concepts of who is on the side of evil, who's on the side of good. But that's literally how people view it. I wasn't yeah. thinking about it so much like that, but I was talking to a, a particular friend. He owns a farm. He, he lives in a farm area. And he was like, this is not an election. This is good versus evil. Davis versus Asuras. And I was like, because my, my point was like, it was all Maya. Yeah. And he was like, no, this is Davis versus the Shores. I was like, that's also Maya, right? Like the Davis versus just there. Also. Okay, but anyway, I get your point. <laughs> <laughs> she was saying the thing about these analogies is that we, within the analogy, have the desperation to survive. Do we see the rope connecting to Guru as survival? 
What do you think, Jaya? I'm thinking about it. Yeah. So the analogy is we're in the well and the guru throws down the rope and we want to survive. And so we grab the rope. Um, now, yeah, I, yeah, so the rope represents our survival. But I think, I guess where this analogy falls short to where you have, sorry, where you would have to explain it is that a lot of us don't view our spiritual life yes. as important as we view like a threat to the physical body. Yes. Because the nature, and Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, this is actually a statement of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, I'm paraphrasing. But he said the nature of disease is that it prevents recognition of itself. Mm. So in other words, the disease is ignorance, but the nature of it is that it prevents recognition of itself. So we don't really know that we're in ignorance. And so survival for us means like my material body, my material goods, my material everything. That is what has to survive. And we don't think about our spirit. We don't think about our inner world in the same, with the same intensity. Mm. We don't tend, otherwise, for example, I, I heard this with many people. And I'm not suggesting anything here, but I'm just giving this as an example that comes to mind. Where we were like, I don't really have good association. And I know mm. in bhakti, good association is essential. What should I do? And I've often given the answer, move. <laughs> like, if you think, like, if your spiritual life is that important for you, mm. it's like, then move. Like, what's, yeah. what's the harm? That's impractical. That's what, the, you know, so we don't normally give that sort of answer because that's just impractical. But if you had to move because your health was threatened and you had to like go there's only one special hospital that's in this country and you live near it then you just uproot your whole thing and go there so that is that is ignorance i mean mm. that's probably not the best example because it sounds insensitive but i'm just saying that's kind of the function of ignorance that we don't mm. view the survival of our inner world with the same intensity as we view the survival of the outer world mm. And as a result, we tend to remain kind of lackluster in our doldrums when it comes to the inner, like, movement and force and responsibility. Hmm. And so otherwise, if we view the rope as our survival, and that rope is Christian consciousness, and that's what really has to survive, then I better grab the rope. And if that means I have to let go of things, in our, again, the call to adventure, the implication part of it, like, that means letting go of some external world part then, yeah, we want to survive, we want to live, we want to thrive in our inner world. Hmm. So, yeah, we would have to, okay, I got a perfect answer. Reply. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that perfect answer, um, oh, wait, Yoga Like Mike, I'm moving to California soon for the sole purpose of surrounding myself with devotees. No Sadhu Sangha in Vermont. Association is so necessary. That, and that's good on you. That's amazing. That's really, really nice. I think that's a great thing to do. But anyway, everyone, today was such a nice episode uh, with you, Jaya. It's nice to be back. So as you all know, we're here almost always here Monday and Fridays at 6 p.m. Um, and then on Fridays, we have our Zoom call that we do. Uh, where we read James Allen, As a Man Thinketh. And that's really like you can join in at any time because it's just so powerful and so meaningful. So if you want to join, reach out to me and Jaya. And then also remember that if you miss any episodes and you want to hear, uh, it's on SoundCloud, it's on Apple Podcasts, it's on uh, Spotify, I think. It's, it's there. Yeah, it's there. Uh, so you can tune in there. 
Oh, Melissa's asking when is Bhagavad Gita. Uh, DM Bhagavad him. That's <laughs> another separate thing. DM him. M- M- Melissa, you can direct message me. It's on Sunday mornings. Uh, send me a direct message. Okay. Thank you, everyone, so much. Haribo. Thank you, Jaya. Haribo. Good night. <laughs>